This episode is brought to you by the Clemson University dorm bathrooms after their visit to the White House. I don't like to feel so much pain, so much fast food. Will the White House ever cook again? I get so lost, fighting so hard for our nutrition. I look to my dining hall to escape the government shutdown. Then indigestion, oh, it returns. I'm on the toilet, oh God, it burns. Without a choice, without my pride, Trump's fucked us pew, from pew, pew, the pew. Welcome to Cake and Kombucha. I am your host, Kalechi Aza. If you're joining us for the first time, and by us I mean the collective I, I really apologize. Um, that was an extra weird intro. I basically was just, I just had In Your Eyes by Peter Gabriel in my head. And I also was reinforced with the whole like 80s easy listening music because um, there's a multimedia artist that went to, he's a German Namibian multimedia artist that in the desert, um, in the Namib desert in Africa, he put these giant speakers up and with like solar power panels. So they allegedly are going to play the song Africa by Toto forever. Um, I just think it's rude. Turn that off. That song is not geographically correct. The guys admit they wrote it when they were high. It's catchy, but like it makes no sense. It might as well be like, I, I skated on Niagara Falls in Africa. It's just like, no, cut it. So anyway... I had that song in my head, and then I was reading about the Clemson University uh, visit to the White House. So the Clemson Tigers, the football team, visited the White House. They beat Alabama in the NCAA college football playoffs. And trust me, honey, I didn't know either what time of year it was or what game it was. This is just... By the time I'm getting some sports news, it's viral for for some other reason. So as you know, our government has been shut down for the longest, uh, the most consecutive days it has ever been shut down. And Trump served the winners an array of fast food, including McDonald's and Wendy's. The spread cost around $3,000, and he paid for them out of his own pocket. Well, isn't that cute that you can do that when your daddy gave you $100 million to start a business, which you then, you know did sorts of kinds of tax fraud and hiding the sources of the business and changed the names on it and said that you are a self-made man and that you and your siblings then tried to cheat your dad out of the rest of his legacy right before he died. But that's a story for another day. Um, yeah, no, it's not cute. What I meant to say is that's not cute. That's what you want to eat, Donald Trump. That's not what people who like their arteries necessarily want to eat. And it's just like, stop it. If you're going to spend $3,000, yeah, you can feed that many. I'm trying to think because I have had to, my many executive assistantship positions and things like that, you could definitely feed like 20 people or 30 people for $3,000 and like have nice catering. So this was just, nobody wants to eat congealed burgers, you weirdo. (sighs) 
so this this is kind of you know this is an indication of what this show is going to be like i got a hodgepodge of news stories of just people acting stupid and they're usually older people that should know better um but anyway yes cake and kombucha is here this is episode 10 which is you know 10th anniversary party here in my apartment wop 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 city girls flew out just you know twerking and celebrating here for you and this is a place where we just talk about politics news reality tv social media memes it's a little bit of cake, which is the fun part, and then it's your kombucha, which is the news. It's interesting. Nothing is made up, but it is a lot of my opinion, so I do suggest following it up with some serious investigative journal afterwards. Once you guys, you know, once I set up a Patreon and I start getting some people subscribing and Patreoning me as my patrons, you know, maybe I'll have full-time investigative journalism Scooby-Doo, but right now, it's just, it's just you girl talking. All right, let's get to the next story. In your lies, the cold, cold meat, this meal ain't complete. I see the doorway, let me go through it, the resolution to all this fruitless horseshit. But seriously, where's the fruit and vegetables in this meal? There are so many whack house, stories about people just acting foolish in our government and otherwise that I think I'm going to start with something that is different. Um, so I am definitely like a, ah, uh, should I say science nerd? I mean, I love sci-fi stuff. I like ancient stuff. I like mythology and exploration and things like that. So this story um, is interesting. It's about this place that I've always wanted to go to. That place is Easter Island. Easter Island, it is in the Southeast Pacific Ocean. I didn't realize that it is a Chilean territory. And it is at the southeasternmost point of the Polynesian Triangle in Oceania. And it's famous for those for 1,000 statue, those giant head statues with the long noses called, I'm not sure how to pronounce this, Moai, created by the early Rapa Nui people. You might remember these statues from the Regola commercial. I think I, there was a Johnny Quest episode about, about them where they made up some like mystery. You know how every like old thing that like some brown people built, we say aliens actually built it. We'll get to that in a moment. Um, so yeah, there was a Johnny Quest episode that had some sort of like supernatural bent. And I think that's when I first started getting like interested in this place when I was little. Um, so they have found out that, or like kind of deduced, I should say, rather than found out, it's not like someone was like, hey, this is the tea, guys. Here's why we did this. But they kind of like discovered, scientists discovered that these statues were built on as kind of markers to show where freshwater sources were. And that's the only correlation that they could find like between where the statues were placed. So they, they said the statues were placed there to show like ownership of territory and that there's fresh water there. And I should also say that these were thought to be like, um, they're statues that memorialize the most important ancestors. So they do have a religious purpose as well. One of the archaeologists was quoted, and I'm, I'm going to directly quote them. It's incredible how much energy went into them, he observed. The statues and the Ahu themselves, the Ahu are the 
the big stone platforms that the Moai sat on top of. The Ahu and the statues themselves weren't just a single event. They made the statues and these platforms to put them on and then remade the platforms and additional statues to put them on. So this is undeniably interesting, right? But is it a mystery? I just, here's my thing. Like in a thousand years, a thousand years from now. Oh, by I should men- should have mentioned this was 900 years ago. These statues have been dated 900 years ago. In a thousand years from now, is someone going to look at a skyscraper and be like, it's not just an office building. There's little designs on the outside of it and like turrets that go to the top. My question is, is there a racial component to how much we exoticize or or act like, you know, the motives of certain groups are very unclear and just unlike anything that we could conceive of? And I mean, we have someone asking like why people made statues, why people made art. I mean, isn't it the same reason that humans is isn't it just like us and like I want to say dolphins because I just attribute everything to dolphins, but like perhaps monkeys or like I know elephants bury the dead. I think dolphins have a ritual. Uh, monkeys do, but like very few species do anything that's kind of like imaginative and artistic. And so when you have a group of people that are, you know, not in Europe, an ancient group, and you're just like, oh my God, but why did they, did it, like what, what could they possibly gain from this? I mean, I'm not saying to simplify your answer, but I just, just get kind of like skeeved out by some of this. Um, the, some of the tone is a little bit, is just something to watch. I mean, so another travel story, and I'm going to get to talking about travel in a second too, because I've had some questions about that. But, um, I went to Barcelona and, um, there's a famous architect named Antonio Gaudi. Gaudi, G-A-U-D-I. I'm just being extra. Um, and he had, I'm not someone, like sometimes if I go someplace and you tell me to see the sightseeing thing, I go on board, whatever. Like I got to go to a lot of museums on tour. Um, I was on tour for three years across the whole country in Canada. So like you sometimes feel like there's this list of things you're supposed to do in, in every city because you know, you're, you're performing at night and then during the day you you warm up for the show, go to the gym, like keep your mind, body right, but you just, you know, you have free time. So you get to a point where you realize you don't want to go to a museum and I'd be like, I I don't feel this in my heart. Like I don't want to go, but you feel guilty. Like you're just supposed to. And so sometimes, and I just have a short attention span sometimes. Like when I left college, I was like, how did you even get through finishing things? Cause my attention be wandering. So sometimes guided tours and stuff, I'm irritated. I'm, I'm just a little bit like fidgety, but when I tell you that these these parks, the churches I saw, the houses that this guy designed were incredible, so worth it. So if anyone goes to Barcelona, where the wine, bottles of wine at the grocery store are two euro or even like one ninety nine, I highly recommend it. So there's this famous uh, cathedral called Sagrada Familia that unfortunately, um, it was just this like, 50 year or so project it's still not finished it's been being worked on for I think up to like 100 years right now so different architects took over each side of it but Antonio Gaudi he was a very very devout Catholic and his mission was to build the highest structure in the world to honor Jesus Christ 
it, I'm going to say the world. Fact check me on this. Let me, let me, let me check this for you. I'm going to do some investigative journalism. Okay, very important fact. Let me stick to my show mission of not just telling y'all lies. It's not, not slated to be the highest structure in the world, the highest church in the world. So by 2026, yeah, they're working on it until then. It's going to be the highest church in the world. But that was his mission. And they are spending millions and millions of dollars to finish making his dream a reality. But my point is, are are people going to be like, you know, in the future when they find it going to be like, why would he make it the highest structure in the world? Like, why? I mean, he had a point. He wanted to honor God and and the way that he saw fit and in accordance to his beliefs, build something monumental, um, you know, make a piece of art that showed his reverence for this, you know, for a divine being, for his God. And I just think people do things for different reasons to be ornamental and stuff. So I really didn't understand why it was, why it's always weird. Why like ancient cultures of black and brown people do stuff. And we have to just say that like aliens and crop circles told them to or something like it's always some aliens. Like, really, if an alien came here, is that really what they do? Build some flat-top pyramids and stuff? That doesn't sound that interesting. I I feel like there's other stuff you could do with alien power. So, a word about travel. Um, I did get a comment from one listener that my travel story sounded really extra and like I was some sort of, like, um, I don't know, like, independently, independently wealthy, like venture capitalist to which I said thank you and maybe I should run for president um but no you you'll you'll know when I am just like bawling out of control and living on a yacht on the Amalfi coast with Jay-Z and Beyonce as their au pair even that kind of bawling is bawling I would take no what I'm really I'm basically a hobo I'm basically the talented Mr. Ripley so what what happens so I did get the amazing chance to tour with Book of Mormon for three years. That was an awesome gig and allowed me a lot of travel. And then your time off, you can also travel. Um, and you're getting, you know, you're getting paid well, you're getting good stipend for your housing and stuff. So you can take that and apply it to other stuff. But I, right now, I'm just an actor in between jobs. What I do is you can find discount flights to Europe for like $200. And if I'm going to take a 200 plane, $200 plane ticket to sleep on, you know, someone's couch who will allow me, like my sister who has a real job as a lawyer, then I'm going to do that, especially in a depressed economy like Barcelona. Now, I'm not going to do like an everyone can travel thing because I understand that there are limitations to that. And that has been like a controversial topic that was on the blogs. You know, I think it was there was an actress who said, you know, instead of like going and buying some Air Force Ones, like buy a passport. Now, okay, but a bitch needs shoes. Like that's not necessarily practical advice. Um, but yeah, I don't have children. If it's just me eating a bag of black eyed peas for one whole week afterwards with the choices I've made, that's kind of one of the things you can do if you have like a nomadic artistic lifestyle, if you're able to save anything. But if you buy budget airlines, like I did, you might just be stranded in Europe when the whole airline shuts down. True story, which I think I've said here, I, went and I was uh, over the fall, I went to Europe on an airline called Primera Air, which costs like for the price of going to Orlando, from Orlando to New York, you can go to Spain. And 
while I was there, the whole airline shut down, like as in closed up shop, as in Roger, who was a guest on the show said, okay, so they couldn't like, they just couldn't figure out how to like, okay, we have enough money to get through the end of business today. Nope. It was like 2.15. They're like, go home. That's it. So when I say they're out of business, I mean, there was no customer service. There was no nothing. If you didn't have, a, I mean, you just, there was not, no one to reimburse you. They, they had nothing. So they just kept booking flights when they knew they weren't paying anyone, paying their employees. It was a mess. And on Twitter, um, flight attendants, pilots were tweeting other airlines like, hey, I'm stuck in Norway. Can you help us out? You know, get us home. So just a total mess you're fending for yourself. And then some other airlines did take advantage of the crisis by offering rescue fares, which, you know, so like $60 to get home to the United States or something like that, which is what we had to do. But it's just kind of interesting. Even when you think about that, you think about how inflated must the price of airline tickets be that it's worth it to them to even offer this rescue fare. So anyway, I hope you guys like my travel stories. Um, I mean, I don't know what to say, like, to that commenter, like, if I, I don't know, I, I'm glad I went places, so I have something to talk to y'all about, damn. I try to have at least one weird encounter on the streets of New York when I'm here to keep it spicy, but you know, we do the best that we can. We do what we can. Um, but yeah, when I'm balling out of control, I'll let you know. I will let you know, because it'll be a great day for everybody. You get a car! Okay, so now we're going to get into a segment I might call shitty people, shitty people, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're just, we're just remaking all the songs today. So this, I really thought that this had been dealt with. You would really think it was dealt with. If you are joining me for the first time, um, we had an episode that heavily focused on Prada's blackface scandal because my sister... Uh, civil rights lawyer Chinyere Azie is the one who had a tweet that went viral about the horrible little gollywog looking monkeys that were featured, you know, with black skin and big red lips that were featured in their store. These trinkets were part of a line called Pratamalia, um, a very poorly conceived, you know, here's an octopus, here's like an android looking thing, and here's a blackface doll. Which one of these things is not like the other? You tell me. So, I, oh, apologies. There's just so much that can be said about apologies, fake apologies. Basically, I mean, Prada wrote my sister a personal letter. Dear Miss Azier, we are very, you know, regretful that we have offended you, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, the first statement that they made wasn't an apology. So then they realized, oh, people are still mad. Oh, these Negroes won't shut up. We got to give them a real apology. So then they must have hired some like black publicist to write that out properly. Now she's backtracking again, which begs the question, just from a business standpoint, what, what does your word mean? What does your name mean if you say your side of things and then are like, mm, not really, and everybody's just attacking me, but let me, leave, let me read the statement first before I drag her. So... Um, this article was entitled, Anything One Does Today Can Cause Offense. She said, I increasingly think anything one does today can cause offense, she told uh, WWD Magazine. There can sometimes be a lack of generosity, but on the other hand, how can we know all cultures? The Chinese protest, then the Sikh, then Mexicans, then Afro-Americans. Bitch, shut up. And don't 
abbreviate African-Americans, you dumbass. You insincere hoe. All I'm hearing is you're not sorry. Like, that's all I'm hearing. Like, I don't get it because I'm actually sorry if I did hurt someone. If they tell me, hey, this thing, you drew this symbol on your face today and it represents lynching or genocide, I feel uncomfortable. Like, I'd be like, ooh, my bad. I feel like a dumb mom. I'm going to take it off. And I have an ego and I like to argue. So, I mean, and even so, it's still hard for me to imagine this place where you just do things to people and then you have no remorse. Oh, wait, no. I know. No, I I do know what that place is. It's called racism. Okay, yes, that's what it is. So you didn't learn anything because you don't want to learn. You're not sorry. You meant that shit. Then just own it. But I can't say I'm not happy. Like, I am happy that people can be forced into taking things out of stores because there's this whole like you know whenever you say that something's not right or something's offensive there's people that don't understand the first amendment the which is freedom of speech they like to invoke it and you know then there's that has to be that reminder you know you have the freedom to say what you want you don't have the freedom from consequences so if we can blackmail people with our dollar which is what a boycott is if we can shame people into doing the right thing if we can pressure them into doing the right thing because of dollars so that I, you know, so that I don't have to live in a world where blackface characters are being sold at a high-end store because that affects me when I walk into the store, a different store down the street in Soho, and then someone wants to ignore me or start following me around. Like my ethnicity, my features, they're not a joke. They're not something to make a mockery of. And like, it's just not cool. I don't need to see that. So I, I, I'm really glad that we can like manipulate people into doing the right thing. But it is sad that you aren't sorry and you have no understanding. But the thing that I hope someone is going to write a book about, like when we're looking back at this time period of the internet and doing fucked up things and apologizing is why do rich, powerful people feel so aggrieved? I mean, I guess I can answer that. I guess it's because they're not used to people actually having the um, the tools or the visibility, I guess, to speak back at them. So they're in a bubble where They never got to hear what anyone said before. So I guess I'm just riffing here, but maybe if you're in that bubble, it is really hard to believe someone when even when thousands and thousands of people tell you that something is a problem. I guess you still have your your fluffer in there being like, no, you're you're amazing. You are amazing. No, there's nothing to nothing is wrong. The the, the Afro-Americans have lost their minds. Like, I don't know. Like, I will. I promise I just need to stop you know, Mario Brothers, there was a, it was a big influence on my childhood. But anyway, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's really disappointing. And it just like, should we start dragging her all over again? Because if you're in charge and you didn't learn, that's what you learn from this is that people are just offended, then you haven't grasped anything that, that has transpired. And there's no reason to think you're going to change the structures of your business to, to make better decisions in the future. Um, yeah, so everybody could, everybody's just going to stay dumb. Okay, I want to break up the news with Facebook story time. So this is Facebook story time, but it blends in with the other topics that we're discussing today. Um... So as I told you, I'm in a secret group for people who were in Facebook when Facebook first started and some of them before they, they'd be talking about, uh, sites 
they all migrated from another site that I didn't even know, like you could talk to people on. But anyway, so someone posted this. Your opinion, please. Lateral coworker is passionate about the NFL. Last few meetings had NFL games playing on the conference TV room. I find this annoying and distracting, but carried on. Then I got an email proposing that we change some plans to accommodate the Super Bowl. I responded. At the risk of sounding super snarky, I am proposing that we stop factoring developments of the racist NFL into schedule. <laughs> While I do not begrudge anyone for their interest, the fervor, and more importantly, the assumption that it is shared by the entire company is at least inconsiderate and at worst offensive. If I am wrong here, I am as always open to correction, but there are actual Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter signs in the window of the office, guys. Let's walk the walk. I will be in the office later today, and I am happy to discuss further. Oh, man, there's so much to say about this note, and we'll get into it. Okay. Um, Then she said, this is her commentary to us, considering that this is a group that has refused partnerships with people that have made homophobic remarks decades ago, I was not expecting this to be that controversial. I was met with an onslaught of tears. So her, the director of this, uh, one of the directors of this company came to her and was crying. And she said, I advise, I advised her to go collect herself and come back. I was trying not to laugh. Anybody been in a similar situation? Also, I'm the only person of color on this board. There are a number of LGBTQ folks though. There's so much to say about this letter. First of all, I applaud this lady in so many ways because she she played a long, she played the long troll game. Um, so to, I mean, she eventually did get what she asked for, but I want to talk about a couple things. Like, this is one of those things that like, you're asking a controversial thing, but she made it extra controversial. Like she called the whole NFL racist, which is like, I mean, yes. And again, like, I think I've made clear that like most things are, that's the foundation of our country. And there's like, getting your panties in a bunch about racism or the possibility that racism exists is also like a weird American exercise that makes no sense. Um, in a country where, you know, like black people had, have had voting rights for like 50 years, but like I still, she knew what she was doing. Like she left the part where you're like, let's consider this, but she's like, no, I'm going to tell you what it is. Um, so I thought that was really funny. And then she also said things like, let's walk the walk. I mean, that's just like team building talk, like 101, like, come on, let's walk the walk, guys. Like, she wasn't really asking a question. She was telling you, um, which is a bold stance. So I thought it was hilarious. But the one thing that I, I did think was interesting, not the one thing, but among other things, was it's this conversation about sports. And I don't know who to blame, like the patriarchy or whatever, but like, what we... I was just so struck that this woman who came to her would be crying about this. Like we really do elevate sports as if they're like a social cause. Like it's something worth fighting for and to die for. Like people are going to beat each other up over it, have riots. Um, We just think that's like, oh, they just got excited. But it's like, no, why do you care about a recreational thing this much? No one's beating each other up at the Tonys. So I think it's really funny that you just like, it's a controversial stance To be like, I don't care about sports. Like, I don't care about your team. I don't care. Do you care about my team? Like, do you care about when, like, the new, like, 
you know, Audrey McDonald tickets are coming, are going to be released. Like, I just don't, I, I, I'm not, I'm not trying to be like, you know, some sort of like high school music, uh, high school movie. And, and, you know, it's like the jocks against the nerds, against the like music kids, theater kids. But it's just kind of funny to me that there's this unspoken rule that, that, but I guess that's just group thinking, right? Like a bunch of people like something a lot and it's really popular. So we try to, we try to honor it. Well, um, yeah, no, uh, sports fans are not a protected group in this country. So they canceled that. And like, I, I respect that. I really do. Cause I just think it's just like, it's presumptuous that I care about the Super Bowl and that for you to be scheduling work events around something like that, then what, why don't you schedule work events around, you know, when, when B, the BT awards are on? Like I just, what if I was like, guys, I really can't come to work because John B and Elda Barge, you know, and new edition are going to be on the BT awards. So we have to move this meeting. I think that would be weird. Um, the lady apparently went on to cry and talk about like how personally she took this and the sentimental value that, um, the chiefs, if that's it, the Kansas City Chiefs, like coming so far in the what help fill me out, whatever, whatever just happened, matter to her. And I just it is it is strange. I mean, and so but it also brings up the question, like, how are we still feeling about the NFL boycott? Like, is everyone aware that it's happening? I feel like it's not something that gets talked about a lot. Um, but what happened to Cap is not acceptable. It's not acceptable at all. And um He's an American hero. His afro looks luscious. Uh, history will be on his side and everyone else will be proved wrong. The next thing I want to talk about is this Gillette ad. So Gillette, as you may know, is the razor company and they have this commercial that has gone viral. viral and um, it is called We Believe. Did you know commercials have titles? Yes. When you go like to a commercial audition and stuff, like they have a title which kind of encapsulates the concept. Fun fact. Anyway, this commercial, we believe, has emerged as the latest battleground in the nation's culture wars, according to USA Today. The ad addresses issues such as sexual harassment, misogyny, and bullying, while playing off the brand's familiar tagline, the best a man can get. So, you know, there's like one area where they say, you know, in the age of Me Too, like, is this the best a man can get? And they show... They start to show people engaging in toxic, if you might call it, behaviors, noxious, toxic behaviors. And then they show like a man saying, hey, hey, bro, like, don't follow that girl down the street and menace her, you know. Okay, he didn't actually say that. I mean, they're depicting instances of problematic behaviors, negative behaviors, and then showing men, you know, correcting it and saying, this is the best a man, is this the best a man can be? And it was... So interesting because as someone who, you know, I don't know, is a consumer, like I, I've done commercials before. I auditioned for a lot of commercials, done some voiceover. I mean, they're selling you a product. So I think these ads that are supposed to be moving are funny because it's just like if everyone was talking about riding to hell in a handbasket, then the company would talk about riding to hell in a handbasket. I mean, they do have companies who have ethos and mission statements that are different and brand core values that they like to uphold. But I mean, everyone's talking about this right now. Like they're basically someone is tapping into culture and making a commercial about it. Um, that's how I see it. If you think that's 
a little cynical, then let me know. But anyway, even with that said, I like to buy stuff and I like to buy stuff that has a good story behind it, has something I believe. Now, I don't shave. I use Nair and on my armpits and then I, and legs and then I, you know, wax everything else. But you know, if I were to buy a razor, sure, maybe I would buy Gillette. I don't know. I'm not buying anything from Gillette. But the point is like, cool, good job. No, not good job for everyone because now people are boycotting them. So the the comments on the video are vastly negative, like more negative than positive. You know, people are saying, I was a fan. You know, I've used Gillette tweeting. I used Gillette my whole life. I will never buy another one of your products again. Now, you might be wondering... You know, if you're following along and I read that the ad addresses issues such as sexual harassment, misogyny, and bullying, you may wonder what is there to boycott? And I don't know. I can't tell you. I can't tell you. Literally, it's coming to the point with our political climate where, like, liberal, if I'm trying to say this in a way that doesn't sound really biased. How do I put this? So maybe the best way to put it is an anecdote. Tangent time. Boo, 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 boo. You know I love them. So I was being a little bit of an internet troll last week during the R. Kelly thing because I just... I just got in the fray. You know, I don't take my aggression out any other way except with words. So I was just like, look, people were acting stupid. And so there's a a gym instructor that I love or the gym I used to go to. And she wrote, you know, I won't be playing R. Kelly in any of my classes, any, you know, and she's close to 50 years old. Like she's of an age where it's just old enough to be like, well, in my day, you know, when a man tried to holler at us, we jetpacked away and kept our vagina safe. Like there's a there's a generation of older women, not the whole generation, but a subset of the older generation of women that just kind of says that everything that they had to go through that was traumatic, like regarding the way men treated them, we should just like roll over and take. And why are we complaining so much about it? And it's like, you're a snowflake to not want to get, you know, like assaulted. Like you just, you don't put yourself in those situations. So it was, I think it was, she was an important person and, and she's a, um, I think West Indian descent, but a black woman, black American. So I think it's, uh, it was important for her to make that statement. Like that is someone that you want to hear saying what their opinion is on this. Cause I do think that's a role model to other people in her cohort. And so there some girl who thought she was being clever, but just really out of her depth and kept using words she didn't know the meaning of was like, okay, sis, but you're not gonna have anything left to play. And I was like, and then she was like, okay, well, then we gonna spin to silence then, you know, you know, the thing when you're fake joking and like, you have a point, you have an agenda of your joke as most jokes do, but like, she, you could just think you, I mean, you're not even being funny. You're not funny. So like, I don't, sorry, I'm, I'm renegotiating this fight with her. But anyway, she said something like, well, what's the reason you guys are all boycotting? And so and people are like, are you dumb? Like we're boycotting, you know, we're not listening to him because he's a rapist and stuff. And, and I just said, and she, she said something like, so, you know, if you're going to stop listening to him, will you stop listening to, you know, this and this and this and this. And I'm like, I mean, to my knowledge, I don't know if Mo- Mozart hashtag me to anyone, but I was like, girl, the false equivalency. So I just, I just said, so what is your, oh, she said something like Donald Trump, you know, grabs people's pussies and stuff. So are we, I'm like, first of all, no one likes Donald Trump. Secondly, so what is your, 
what is your action item? I think that's what I said. And <laughs> isn't that like condescending? I said, what's your action item? Like, what do you want to happen? You want her to not stop playing? You want her to to not say she's going to not play R. Kelly? Sorry, there's so many negatives. Or do you want her to, you know, because Trump is bad? Like, what is, what's your point? And then she explained it. It didn't make any sense. And then she did the whole thing that like hoteps do and everyone else does. And Every time it didn't make sense, she'd tell me I didn't get her meaning. No, you. she basically went down. She just said, she called us like fake, you know, faux, you know, activists, like outrage culture, suggesting that it's silly to stop listening to someone. You're not going to have anything else to listen to. And I was like, you know, I, I'm an artist. I'll, I'll listen to my own songs. I make up in my head. I have some friends I can in- introduce you to that don't have sex dungeons going on actively. So, I mean, your point is moot. But she called me a like wild feminist, which I wanted to take as a, a slogan and just start a band and wear shirts woven out of our armpit hair called wild feminist. Although my armpit hair is curly, so it's not going to be the best for weaving. Um, I have to get it long enough to like, it, I could probably just cut it off and make tracks out of it if I really concentrated and took some like prenatal hormones, maybe. I mean, prenatal vitamins. <laughs> okay. But my point is just that. I don't understand why it's extremist to say that a right thing is is right. And so I think it's really sad that, and I guess this will lead into the next story, that there are people that are willing to call you liberal because you disagree with rape. Um, yes. Yes, I do. I don't know. I don't know what else to say to that. So you think something has a liberal agenda because it you know, supports women, I guess. But honestly, the Gillette commercial really just supports men not being as shitty people, humans. And so you, that is a trigger word for you that like, oh, misogyny, rape, sexual harassment, bullying, those are things that the left cares about. And I'm a conservative, so I'm boycotting you. How I don't understand how those aren't goals. Like there has to be some commonality. Whatever your feelings about misguided feelings about homosexuality are that you cobble together from your religious books while you ignore everything else that the Bible says you shouldn't do all shade intended, like whatever else you do, there's just got to be some commonality about not being a shitty person. So to read people on the internet defending this, and then like, you know, there's one like pick me girl, I saw a tweet, you know, I don't find anything toxic about masculinity. And it's like, no, it's not toxic masculinity like all masculinity is toxic it's toxic masculinity like they're identifying it the part of it that's toxic as toxic like in the title so you're just like well I don't you know I don't find anything wrong with rotting garbage rolling around in the street like what's the problem like I don't know so we we're at this thing again where people are purposely pretending they don't understand things I guess or just resisting information just to I don't know. It's weird. I didn't see a lot. Like I want to not be in a bubble. And I, I, I know people are going to be a little bit irritated, but like, because people don't like being told to better themselves. They don't like, you know, having to look at anything that they do, but just, it's kind of just like, if 
you know, someone were to show you like a Rorschach of like, here's a monster, like, here's someone punching a baby, here's someone helping a baby, which one would you do? Like, you are not supposed to look at that commercial. Commercials are designed to evoke certain, you know, light up certain things in our brains, evoke a certain response, make you want to buy something, make you feel good, make you feel cry, connect this to a sentimental value. So you are not supposed to look at that if you're normal and find anything to identify with as the bad people. Like you at least be in denial enough about yourself as a human being that you look at it and you're like, oh, that's not me. I don't really do that. Like, good gracious. Are you out here saying that you watched something that was just like bad and you were like, that's all me all day. And how dare you tell me I should change it? Like, that's weird. I don't think people usually identify with like the villains and stuff. In movies, and I mean, it, it is supposed to be a, things are supposed to be a mirror to look at your own actions, but you know, it's a little cartoonishly sentimental. Like you were kind of supposed to just go with it, take your take your take your medicine and drink it down. So people are weirdos, man. Um, yeah, but our next story deals with something else, pretending like he doesn't something else. He really is a something. Someone else pretending like they don't know what words mean, they don't get why this is a problem and this and that. And that has to do with uh, Steve King, Representative Steve King. Steve King has been a GOP rep for like hundreds of years now. Um, He's pretty much just says racist things on the record all the time that are like wild and crazy. And I had kind of been following him a little bit um, because I do remember that he he was like reciting some sort of like Nazi jargon on the air um, with one of these shock jocks. But I have a list from the New York Times of some other some of the things that he said. They categorized it quite pettily, quite pettily. Applause, applauso, applauso by year. And so among the highlights were he referred to multiculturalism as a tool for the left to subdivide a culture and civilization into our own little ethnic enclaves and pit us against each other. Like, what do you mean? Like, there's more than one culture in the world and then they like live together. But that is what you mean. You are saying that there should only be one white culture. We'll get to that. I mean, he he says this. I'm not anal- like this is not analytical, guys. He this is what he said. Mr. King claims that non-white groups haven't contributed as much as whites to civilization. Quote, "This whole business does get a little tired. I would ask you to go back through history and figure out where are these contributions that have been made by these other categories of people you are talking about. Where did any other subgroup of people contribute more to civilization?" Um, so that's not, you know, anything he got in trouble for just FYI. Then he said days later, the idea of multiculturalism, that every culture is equal. That's not objectively true. Um, who the fuck, who is measuring this? What do you mean? Objective stupid. We've been fed that information for the past 25 years and we're not going to become a greater nation if we continue to do that. Hmm. Making America great again. Interesting how these things come full circle. Okay, just some, to inject some humor, Mr. King says he does not want Somali Muslims working in meatpacking plants in Iowa. I don't want people doing my pork that won't eat it, let alone hope I go to hell for eating pork chops. Look, I don't want anyone else doing my pork either. I might them want them to truss it up a little bit or roast it. Serve it with like a like nice apple chutney, maybe some mint jelly, or is that for lamb? I know that would work. My question is, what are you talking about? Like, what are you talking about? Okay, so but the most recent thing that he's in trouble for, which is last week, this has spanned years. What I've read, 
I tried to keep that in the 2000s. What he said last week was white nationalist, white supremacist, Western civilization. How did that language become offensive? Why did I sit in classes teaching me about the merits of our history and our civilization? Um, okay. So, what? Like, first of all, (laughs) old man, white supremacist, no one ever told you the white supremacist was a good thing. It doesn't sound like it would be a good thing. It's not a good thing. Like, I, well, but I guess he did say that. He said that he thinks that, you know, Western civilization, white culture, whatever, what does that mean? I mean, he's claiming all of like Europe, I guess, is supreme. So he said that, but then to like obfuscate things and pretend that you don't think that white supremacy, like you don't know that it means something to refer to a social movement and a con like Nazis and the KKK and like that it refers to an actual thing. Like we're not going to play these games with you today, Dr. Seuss. We're not doing it. And then I, so basically people voted against the most harsh censure for him from in the house of like the representatives did not vote for the harshest censure for him. And they wanted to just like give him like, like do an ethics review. Why now? Like, well, just let him roll up wearing a white hat. Let him come dress like a snow cone or a Q-tip, like wear his grand wizard gear. Like, I don't understand what you're, what are you doing this now for? Why? What's the point? So then in a hugely derailing episode, Megan McCain, who is grading, I'm going to say that she's annoying. She's on The View. I don't, I don't, who watches The View like all together anymore? I watch it in like the segments that come to me that I discover are relevant because they're circulating. So she lost her shit because they started just breaking down, you know, the the host started talking about like his comments were racist. They started discussing how his party wouldn't condemn the statements. And so then she just goes into this full tirade. I'm a political analyst. I don't like talking about things that were supposed to be have ended before I was born. I don't want to talk about this anymore. Let me just say that his comments are bad. I condemn them. This is ridiculous. In this, in 2019, 2019, I feel like that's people's favorite thing to say. In 2019, in 2019, what? In 2019, people are being shot and killed by the police. 2019, they are, you know, we see a, a, a white man in North Carolina punching an 11-year-old in the face. And then people under comments are saying, you know, and he appears to be someone that waded into this group of them all to tell them to just be quiet, like not minding his own business. People are saying he's defending his family from 11-year-old girls who are just being loud outside on the curb. So, I mean, shut up. Like, what do you mean... This issue is not over because it makes you uncomfortable and you think it's distasteful and you'd rather not talk about it. And then someone said like, well, 42% of the country, you know, votes Republican and so this and that. And she said, are you saying 42% of the country is racist? Is that what you're saying? Because I'm a Republican and I don't think people want to hear that. And I was like, I mean, sure, maybe, I don't, probably more like girl, what world do you live in where this is like, well, I know what world you live in where this isn't something that you have to think about a lot. Like, yeah, most people are, why is that weird? Why is it weird that a country that was built on slavery that then turned into Jim Crow, that then into a, a different types of apartheid, that then turns into people being, you know, redlined into certain neighborhoods where they have life expectancies that are 
30 years lower than people that live around the corner from them in a gated community. Like, why would there not still be racism? Plus, look at everything that's going on right now. She was like, I want to build a wall. I don't want to build a wall for the record, but I do believe in border enforcement. If that makes, that doesn't make me racist. It's like, you have missed the boat, bitch. Like, we have this man in a public office who hates everyone like everyone except white people. And you are over here talking about how you're offended and how dare you say that 42% of the country is racist. Racism is not like calling someone fat. Like it's a belief. It's a practice. I mean, not only is it systemic, but it's a mindset that you, if you demonstrate it, that you have it, then you have it. I am the one who's inconvenienced by you being racist, not you. I just... I don't know how that kept that keeps getting twisted from these conversations. I'm inconvenienced. Your feelings are not the most important part of this situation. So then she slammed the table and she said, I am the daughter of John McCain. I cannot be racist. I don't even know what that means. Like, I, I don't I don't even know what that means. Like, I am the daughter of Michael AZA and I like ginger tea. Like, okay. I don't. Good night, Megan. You're going to be canceled really soon because I'm starting to find her little stances to be like, they're raising to the level of microaggressions just by being annoying. Like, I think you think you believe the right things, but you're super annoying and I need you to stop. In your lies, the stank, the neat. You got cold, cold meat. I see the doorway. Let me go through it to find some food. So one creepy story and then a kind of amusing story. And then I think we're done because I have to have an audition in the morning. I got to get my sleep. I got to get my sleep on. But um, <laughs> it's not funny at all. I literally just laugh because it's not funny. So this article in The Root was uh, investigating whether the NYPD spied on Black Lives Matter protesters. And a judge has ruled that the police must disclose the surveillance data. So I'm just going to read this to you. Since 2014, protesters at the Millions March, a New York City-based group affiliated with a movement for black lives, have noticed their cell phone communications go awry at protests, writes the New York Times. So this included their cell phones switching off suddenly, losing reception, their messaging app going nuts. And so protesters began to suspect that the police were monitoring their telephones with stingrays. Not the fish. No, no, no. But devices that mimic cell towers and intercept communications. Okay, so when this was like investigated, when this was probed, the NYTB, okay, okay, okay. The NYPD hid behind a Glomar response, which cites national security concerns to justify withholding information. So then, yes. You did that shit? Like, what? just say you did it. I don't understand. Like, you obviously did it or you would say no, right? There's no situation in which someone would say, I'm not at liberty to reveal that information. That sounds like incriminating or damaging or bad for business because Lord knows y'all don't really care about the actual, like, the fact that you're going against the social adjustment movement to protect our lives. But you didn't say no. You just said I'm not at liberty to say you did it. And while it's creepy, it's nothing different than what's been going on for, you know, 
all of American history. I mean, you know, the FBI following MLK, very likely being responsible for his assassination or putting that in motion. So, I mean, I just think it's so, like, are we following, like, white nationalists and unibombers and the people that are actually you know, running people over in the streets and killing them and menacing them, or we're 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 gonna monitor the people that are reacting to that. Ay ay ay. So my last story was gonna be a toss-up between these celebrities fighting over the keto diet or um <laughs> Don Cheadle, who I have a like crush on, dragging Kathy Griffin. Like, oh Don Cheadle I feel like we would be friends because she, it looks like I'm talking about it, but basically he tweeted something about some other cause and she was like, and I'll never forgive you for, hello, my ex-friend. Like, you have a flair for drama, Kathy. Hello, ex-friend. I'll never forgive you for the way you didn't support me with my, you know, when my, with, when my issue with my photo happened and for going against Trump. So he tweeted, he had the time today. He had the time. He tweeted her a seven-part response, like, not like seven tweets, but just bulleted, like, part part one, we're not friends. We spoke on a plane for one hour about our, our political values. <laughs> Two, if you were my friend and had you asked me my opinion, I would have told you, hmm, holding up a severed head of our bloody severed head of our president that represents, you know, that evokes images of David Pearl and the other journalist that was killed in the same behead in the same way. Not a good look. I was gagging. He read her for filth and she eventually apologized and said, you know, I mean, he said that it was egregious that she was still stuck on something that happened 17 months ago, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just, you know, I didn't like the way people like kind of abandoned her after that, but I will say now that I'm having a chance to look at it, like, are you taking a political stance when you take a picture that somebody else conceived of that they wanted to be shocking for a magazine or something or a cover that you were already going to be on? I don't remember if it was a magazine cover, if it was like just like an editorial, you know, online editorial, but is that activism or is it just like doing a thing? And then like, yeah, you don't like him, but was that like the most efficient use of your resources to, combat his his presidency and then you spend the la- the next like 17 months complaining about the way you were treated like that's that all seems very much about her but in any case you know her whole brand is built on these celebrity stories and stuff and it really makes me want to go back and and wonder like how many people does she actually know and how many people has she seen on a plane but uh to get into the last feud because it involves some of my people that I really like Um, Apparently, there's a bunch of celebrities that are fighting over the keto diet right now. So um, basically, if you haven't heard, keto, uh, which is short for the ketogenic diet, is a diet where you don't eat any carbohydrates. Yes, you eat, you know, there are carbs and vegetables, but like you don't eat any starches, you don't eat any sugar at all. Um, Is that everything? Yeah. So like no grains, no sugar. No fruit, no fruit. That's important. That's important. No fruit. And so basically your body goes into the metabolic state where the ketone bodies in your tissues um, are raised and they kind of just like burn through all that fat. And this is also ketosis is the state that you go into uh, 
during diabetes in some stages, which is why sometimes some diabetic diabetics will lose weight really, like a lot of weight really suddenly. So everyone's really into this. I mean, first of all, let me just say you're all late. Like, I don't know where you've been. Um, no, I did this like two summers ago. I was doing it for a while and I don't think it's sustainable. Like, I don't think I'm not going to eat fresh fruit for the rest of my life, but you, you do lose weight in all the right places. You look like a Coke bottle video vixen. Like it just like you get snatched, but I just don't think it's sustainable. Um, but anyway, Jillian Michaels, she said that, you know, the diet was not healthy, which, oh, I didn't mention an important thing. Like you're eating, you're really supposed to eat like 70% fat. That's actually, it's, it's not like the Atkins diet in that you are supposed to eat more fat than you're supposed to eat protein. So you're just supposed to like load butter on everything, eat as many eggs as possible, eat as many full fat cheese as possible, like whole milk, cream sauces, things like that. And so Jillian Michaels, who's the trainer from, uh, oh my gosh, I was about to say my big fat brother. That is not the name of the show. The Biggest Loser. Oh my gosh. I used to go to bed. The Biggest Loser. She was a celebrity trainer on The Biggest Loser. And she, you know, came out against the diet saying it wasn't healthy. And Al Roker was pissed. Al Roker was mad at her. Andy Cohen called her a jackhole. Like all these people are coming out against her saying she just wants to sell her book and you know keto doesn't align with that and and in fairness she did say like you should be suspicious whenever you see a bunch of people you know lump jumping on to a trend companies trying to make money but I mean that circles back to what I said before like anything the general population is doing and becomes trendy you know commercial brands are going to to try to market that and try to take advantage of that so she she's in a Twitter fight over this. Like people are mad, like it's their religion, which just leads me to say, like, chill out, chill out. Like you, she could say that it's unhealthy, and like you can just honestly, like the research is now split in half, you know. And I used to be like proselytized too about all the research how fat is not really bad, et cetera, et cetera. But then my cholesterol went up a tiny bit. My And I've never had high cholesterol, and it's because I was eating pure fat, even though I was, like, looked fit. Um, so I don't know. I don't think it's for everybody, and I don't know why. I mean, I think she said it's obvious that anytime you you block out a major food group that, you know, that's not a good thing. And I have to say I sort of agree. Like, I don't necessarily think that, you know, our ancestors in the desert and the Bible, they were eating bread. So, you know, they ate bread in the Bible. I'm eating my bread, too. That's that's really all I have to say about that. But I found an interesting quote that I pretty much thought summed it up. Um, where is this? Uh, there's one uh, blogger on The Cut who said, I understand the appeal of diets like this. It's fun to make dramatic changes to yourself. It feels like pushing a reset button on your entire life. Such diets are also the ultimate distraction. It felt at times like a full-time job. And I think that is totally sometimes instead of making the small changes and I speak for myself that aren't glamorous and just, you know, steadying the course, is it steadying or staying the course, staying the course, we want to do something really dramatic. And then we want to talk to everyone about it incessantly, but don't talk to me about it because I already know. But yeah, like I saw Chipotle advertising keto bowls now. They're advertising, they're called them lifestyle bowls. Now, that sounds like something that was on the drawing board and like 
where, where the, you know, the writers and the designers, the people coming up with the commercial, like it sounds like a draft idea that someone forgot to change. The lifestyle bowls. And so <laughs> that one is like a keto bowl. So it just has like, they, they all have a huge serving of guac on top. There's like a whole 30 bowl, a keto bowl. And then it's like your trainer's bowl. Your trainer's bowl is no different than the whole 30 bowl. Like none of them have grains. I think maybe one has corn, which I think you can't do on like keto, but they essentially all look the same. And I'm just like, in 2019, if you haven't figured out, like cutting out an entire food group just saves some calories. So like, don't put like a giant scoop of rice and try, like this just, it's not, I don't know. Like you could always have gone to to to, uh, to Chipotle and ordered some meat. Like I've just gone there and got a side of meat before. So I, I, I don't know, man. I don't know, ma'am. If you like buying stuff, it's a cool time because anything you think of in your head, your phone is going to be tapped. The last conversation you had, and you're going to see a product marketed directly to you the next moment. So it's either a great day or a creepy day. That's it for cake and kombucha this week. I have the giggles. I, I did. Like, it's It's been a busy week so far, so thank you so much for joining, and I hope you join me next week for the same exploration of different topics, and if there's anything that you are interested in hearing about or want to share, send your comments, questions to cakeandkombucha at gmail.com. Cake and Kombucha is produced by Kalechi AZA, me, and it features music by Melanie J.B. Charles. If you like what you hear, check her out on Spotify or visit MelanieJBCharles.com. Special thanks to producer Jason Torres. <laughs>